Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a series of podcasts presented by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. In this episode, Richard Copley talks about the Edgar Allan Poe Cottage in Fordham, the Bronx, where the famous author lived from 1846 to 1849. There, he experienced the devastation of his wife Virginia's death, and later the satisfaction of writing some of his most important work, from Ululum to El Dorado. As you'll hear, the story of Poe's life at the Fordham Cottage is one of moving suffering and remarkable overcoming. Copley, distinguished professor of literature emeritus at Penn State Dubois, is the author of Edgar Allan Poe and the Dupin Mysteries. For more podcasts like this and for more Gotham Center programming, visit us at gothamcenter.org and sign up to our mailing list. Thanks for listening. The Fordham Cottage was a retreat for Edgar Allan Poe and his wife, Virginia. They were getting away from gossip in Manhattan. Prompted by Poe's literary flirtation with Francis Sergeant Osgood and his indiscreet response to Elizabeth Ellet when she sought the return of Osgood's letters to Poe. In 1845, Poe had been at his peak of fame, having published the poem The Raven and the books The Raven and Other Poems and Tales. He was, quote, the observed of all observers, unquote, the greatest literary lion in America. But he soon fell from that peak, losing the magazine he briefly owned, the Broadway Journal, as well as a portion of his reputation and peace of mind. The salons, where he had been so celebrated, banned him. But his adoring young wife, also his cousin, who had been ill from tuberculosis for several years, wrote him an acrostic valentine in February 1846, which began... Ever with thee I wish to roam. Dearest, my life is thine. Give me a cottage for my home and a rich old cypress vine. The Fordham Cottage was that cottage, removed from the world with its sin and care and the tattling of many tongues, as she wrote. Virginia hoped that love shall heal my weakened lungs. And perhaps there were to be, as she imagined, some tranquil hours, some perfect ease with Edgar. But she was failing, and the Fordham cottage would be the home where she would die. The Poe family, Edgar, Virginia, and the ever-protective Maria Clem, Virginia's mother and Edgar's aunt and mother-in-law, moved from Amity Street to Turtle Bay, and then in May 1846, to the tiny white cottage in the Bronx. It had been built around 1812 and was located on the east side of Kingsbridge Road at the top of a hill. There were cherry trees in the yard. The Poes paid $100 a year rent for the cottage, which included a kitchen, a parlor, and a bedroom over the parlor. Copies of books by the Brownings distinguished the parlor. Mary Gove visited in the summer and remembered the poet's wife. She wrote, Her pale face, her brilliant eyes, and her raven hair gave her an unearthly look. One felt that she was almost a disrobed spirit, and when she coughed, it was made certain that she was rapidly passing away. 
Poe had written a series, The Literati of New York City, which was then appearing in Godey's Ladies Book. One of the pieces in that series on Thomas Dunn English would prompt a fierce literary war. Meanwhile, Poe remained ensconced at home with Virginia and Mrs. Clem. He received literary correspondence, including from George Eveleth, who admired Poe, and Nathaniel Hawthorne, who praised his fiction but faulted his criticism. And Poe enjoyed the company of some of the faculty at Fordham College. Occasionally, he went into the city, as, for example, in June 1846, when he had an interview. He then wrote to Virginia, who was in Fordham, consoling her in his absence and reassuring her about his overcoming his greatest failing. My little darling wife, you are my greatest and only stimulus now. The battle with Thomas Dunn English in the press intensified. English attacked, Poe defended himself and initiated a libel lawsuit against the owners of the New York Mirror, which had reprinted English's attack. And Poe wrote the ultimate tale of vengeance, the cask of Amontillado. He also wrote a piece about Hawthorne and planned the book Literary America. However, Virginia's condition worsened, and Poe was sick as well, and the Poe family was suffering great poverty. Mary Gove visited the Fordham Cottage in November 1846 and wrote of Virginia lying in Poe's greatcoat with a tortoise-shell cat upon her breast. Poe held her hands and Mrs. Clem her feet. Mary Gove said that the family was in the greatest wretchedness. Her daughter Alma also visited and recalled the beautiful child wife lying on her white bed and wasting away. Marie Louise Shue nursed the dying Virginia. Eliza White, daughter of Poe's former employer Thomas W. White of the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond and Poe's friend, visited for a long time. A notice about the extreme condition of the Poe's appeared in the newspapers, and people contributed money for the poet and his family. Poe himself responded to the notice, admitting his wife's illness and his own, and stating that he had much work yet to do. The end for Virginia came soon. Poe wrote to Mrs. Shue on January 29, 1847, Kindest, dearest friend, my poor Virginia still lives, although failing fast and now suffering much pain. May God grant her life until she sees you and thanks you again. And he promised in response to Mrs. Shue's advice, Yes, I will be calm. Baltimore friend Mary Starr was visiting and sat next to the dying Virginia, who said to her, Mary, be a friend to Eddie, and don't forsake him. He always loved you, didn't you, Eddie? Mrs. Shue, visiting on January 30th, later recounted that Virginia kissed a picture of Edgar and gave it to her, and gave her a jewel case as well. And Virginia passed a letter written by the second wife of Poe's foster father, John Allen, to Edgar. 
He, having read it, and, quote, weeping heavy tears, unquote, passed it to Mrs. Shue. In the letter, Mrs. Allen blamed her own jealousy of Poe for Allen's neglect of him. Poe's beautiful child wife soon died. She was 24 years old. Mrs. Shue arranged for the funeral, which took place on February 2nd at the old Dutch Reformed Church. It was attended by friends, including journalists and writers N.P. Willis and George Pope Morris, who later wrote, Mrs. Poe was an estimable woman and an excellent wife. Her loss is mourned by a numerous circle of friends. Poe eventually wrote a couplet. Deep in earth my love is lying, and I must weep alone. Life went on. Poe won his lawsuit. He wrote a poem in tribute to Mrs. Shue. With her, he visited a doctor in Manhattan to consult about his illness, considered by her brain fever. He helped her decorate her home on 10th Street. Literary ladies visited Poe in Fordham, and as he spoke beneath some trees, one of these ladies placed an oak leaf wreath upon his head. He responded with a pleasant, gratified smile. He was recognized. He was appreciated. With money from the lawsuit, Poe and his mother-in-law acquired a silver-plated urn for their home. After visiting Washington and Philadelphia in July 1847, Poe returned to the Fordham Cottage, and at the request of Professor Coatsworth P. Bronson for a poem suitable for recitation, the poet soon began one of his greatest works, Ulalu. The opening lines set a tone of foreboding. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sere. The leaves, they were withering and sere. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. Mysterious and evocative, the poem tells of a man wandering at night in conversation with his soul, Psyche. He beholds the planet Venus, distrusted by Psyche, which may have been provided by friendly ghouls who knew that he was approaching the tomb of his lost love, whom he had interred the previous year. In Ulalum, Poe was able to transform his great suffering into an enduring work of mourning. Anna Blackwell visited Poe in Fordham, observing his caged birds and the cat that sat upon his shoulder as he wrote. Mary Gove visited as well, witnessing a leaping contest that led Poe to burst his shoes. The hope was that if Ulalum sold, perhaps he could afford a new pair. Indeed, the poem did sell. It appeared in the December 1847 issue of the American Review. The year closed with Poe's attending a Christmas Eve service in Manhattan with Mrs. Shue. The poet was so moved by the sermon about the man of sorrows acquainted with grief that he left the church. He eventually returned to sing the closing hymn. Poe was now working on his prose poem about the nature of the universe, Eureka. 
He would walk in the garden of the Fordham cottage with Mrs. Clem, explaining his ideas to her as he thought through his argument. He was also trying again to begin his dream magazine, The Stylus, for which he wrote another prospectus. He had long been a critic, after all, as well as a writer of poetry and fiction, and he wished to establish an independent literary periodical. His difficult recent history was well understood. Philip Pendleton Cook wrote at the time, I believe Mr. Poe has been for some time ill, has recently sustained a heavy domestic bereavement, and is only now returning to his literary labors. The public will doubtless welcome the return of so favorite an author to pursuits in which heretofore he has done so much and so well. On February 3, 1848, Poe lectured for two and a half hours on the universe at the New York Society Library in Manhattan. The talk was considered by one attendee a mountainous piece of absurdity, by another a rhapsody of the most intense brilliancy. At home in Fordham, Poe continued to work on his book and maintained his correspondence with George Eveleth, remarking that people who may have seen him drink had never seen his private, studious, and literary life. Mrs. Gove had told Poe that nothing would or could save him from a sudden death but a prudent life of calm with a woman fond enough and strong enough to manage his work. He was beginning to seek such a woman, perhaps one also of means, who could assist him with the stylus. He began to take an interest in Sarah Helen Whitman, a poet from Providence. He sent her his poem to Helen, and she published a poem addressed to him. Poe continued to receive an occasional visitor. For instance, divinity student John Henry Hopkins, Jr., who had reservations about what he considered the pantheistic elements of the recent lecture, came to talk with the writer and left more concerned than ever. And Poe occasionally visited Manhattan. In one instance, he paid a call on publisher George P. Putnam, asking in some excitement that Eureka, a work of, quote, momentous interest, unquote, be published in a run of 50,000. Putnam agreed to publish the work in a run of 500. Poe was still occasionally drinking and still occasionally writing. In May, visiting Mrs. Shue in Manhattan and prompted by her, he wrote the first version of the monopoetic poem, The Bells. But owing to the cautions of John Henry Hopkins, Jr., she soon thereafter broke off her friendship with Poe to his great distress. He began to think his financial need might be resolved by a friend in Richmond, probably his childhood friend, now a successful merchant, John H. McKenzie, and he planned a visit south. But first, owing to the invitation of Jane Ermina Locke, who had visited Poe in Fordham, he traveled to Lowell, Massachusetts, and on July 10, 1848, lectured on The Poets and Poetry of America. 
Locke introduced Poe to Annie Richmond, a married woman, unattainable, whom he came to love. Finally, Eureka was published, an exposition of the expansion and contraction of the universe considered by some extraordinary and by others blasphemous. Later in July, Poe left his cottage in Fordham for Richmond. By early September, he was back in Fordham. Having visited his friends in Richmond, including a woman he had known in his boyhood, Elmira Royster, now Elmira Royster Shelton, a wealthy widow, and having been on a drinking spree, he returned north to Fordham, for he had received verses from Sarah Helen Whitman, and so began a series of visits to Mrs. Whitman in Providence, involving his entreating her to marry him and her resisting. His real love was Annie Richmond, but Mrs. Richmond recommended his marriage to Mrs. Whitman. At one point in Boston, he took laudanum in the misguided hope that Annie Richmond would come to him in his illness. The intense and highly melodramatic courtship of Mrs. Whitman concluded on December 23rd after Poe's successfully lecturing in Providence, but also failing to keep his pledge of abstinence. Poe returned to Mrs. Clem in Fordham, unable to win Mrs. Whitman, yet perhaps not altogether unhappy, for he loved Annie. 1849 was Poe's final year. He returned to his writing at his home in Fordham. He had earlier finished Lander's Cottage, which featured a tribute to Annie. He now continued his Marginalia series, wrote a second version of The Bells, another tale of revenge, Hopfrog, a comic tale, Xing a Paragrab, and a poem, A Valentine, which paid tribute to Francis Sargent Osgood. He wrote to one correspondent, Frederick W. Thomas, Depend on it, after all, Thomas, literature is the most noble of professions. In fact, it is about the only one fit for a man. He went on with apparent pleasure. Love, fame, the dominion of intellect, the consciousness of power, the thrilling sense of beauty, the free air of heaven, exercise of body and mind with the physical and moral health which result. These and such as these are really all that a poet cares for. And Poe's imaginative energy continued. There in Fordham, he wrote A Dream Within a Dream, a poem that begins... Take this kiss upon the brow, and in parting from you now, thus much let me avow. You are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream, yet if hope has flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. He wrote For Annie, a poem that closes, But my heart, it is brighter than all of the many stars in the sky, for it sparkles with Annie, it glows with the light of the love of my Annie, with the thought of the light of the eyes of my Annie. And he wrote the extraordinary and profound lyric El Dorado, about a night's 
ceaseless quest. Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long, singing a song, in search of El Dorado. But he grew old, this knight so bold, and o'er his heart a shadow fell as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. And as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow, ride, boldly ride, the shade replied, if you seek for El Dorado. In May 1849, after an illness, he confided to Annie his despondency. My life seems wasted. The future looks a dreary blank, but I will struggle on and hope against hope. However, he soon added, I have written a ballad called Annabel Lee, which I will send you soon. Battling his darkness, Poe had been able to write one of literature's greatest lyrics, which famously begins, It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee, and this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. Poe visited Annie in late May or early June, and he gave her the third version of The Bells. Back in Fordham, Poe determined to visit Richmond. He wished to revive the old plan for his literary magazine, The Stylus. Yet he must have had some sense of the possibility of the coming end. According to Mrs. Clem, he requested that Rufus W. Griswold serve as his executor, and that N.P. Willis write about his life and character. On June 29th, he traveled south. In Philadelphia, he got drunk and was taken briefly to prison. With John Sartain, he expressed his intense fears and recent hallucinations. He wrote to Maria Clem, saying, It is no use to reassure me now. I must die. I have no desire to live since I have done Eureka. I could accomplish nothing more. Money was raised for Poe among his friends, and he took the train to Baltimore, and by July 14th was in Richmond, with his previously lost valise, but without his lectures. He wrote to Maria Clem in Fordham, Oh God, my mother, shall we ever again meet? If possible, oh come! During his final visit to Richmond, Poe enjoyed his old friends, the Mackenzies, courted Elmira Royster Shelton, and on August 17th gave a lecture, either recovered or rewritten, on the poetic principle. He drank, then took the temperance pledge. He delivered the same lecture in Norfolk. He continued to write to Mrs. Clem in Fordham, and she continued to write to him. By September, Elmira accepted his proposal, but Poe admitted to his mother-in-law, my heart sinks at the idea of this marriage. Elmira loved him and could support the stylus, but it does not seem that he loved her. Poe lectured in Richmond again on September 24th, 
And then on September 26th, feeling sick and sad, Ho took the train north to stop in Philadelphia to edit a woman's poetry and then go on to New York and Fordham, where he could bring Mrs. Clem back with him to Richmond. As we all know, Ho never reached Fordham. Getting off in Baltimore, he drank and, well, we do not know exactly what happened. The prevailing theory is that he was cooped during election day, offered drinks for votes, and never recovered. Found at a tavern that was also a polling place on October 3rd, he was taken to Washington Hospital, where he lay until the morning of October 7th, finally saying, Lord, help my poor soul, and die. He was buried in Baltimore on October 8th. Mrs. Clem wrote grieving on October 9th, saying that he had been on his way home. The Fordham Cottage had been home to Edgar Allan Poe for nearly four years. It had been the scene of illness and poverty, but also of his final caring for his beloved Virginia. It had been the scene of visiting friends and admirers, and it had been the scene of a series of bursts of creativity, yielding works that endure in the canon of American literature, indeed, world literature. In October 1849, Poe never reached his Fordham destination. But now that cottage in Fordham is a destination for many readers of Poe, the young and the old, from here and abroad. The Fordham Cottage was a retreat in which Edgar and Virginia were presumably able to find a few tranquil hours, and a retreat from which Poe was able to make enduring literary advances. It remains an emblem of the life of struggle and of the life of the imagination. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of our podcasts at GothamCenter.org and sign up to our mailing list to find out about other programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. 